Hey guys, welcome to the weekly podcast of Encounter Church, Sedalia, Missouri. It's our prayer that this message is a blessing and an encouragement to your life. If you want more information about Encounter Church, please go to our website, encounterchurch.ag. Thanks again. Enjoy the message. So we are in uh, a series. Uh, anybody know what it's called? It's probably up on the screen. Hope in the Darkness. That's right. And uh, we're pretty much at the tail end of this thing. And uh, Pastor asked me to speak today because the topic is on worship. So I want to speak to you guys today about worship, uh, specifically how worship is connected to hope, because there is a connection, right? So um, what I want to start with this morning is uh, we need a bit of review, right? A couple years ago, I spoke on worship, and um, we need a little bit of review because it's been a couple of years. So let's define exactly what worship is. See, worship, it's not just singing songs, right? Although that's part of it. It's not just clapping. It's not just shouting. It's not just dancing. It's not just putting money in the offering, which we just did, right? That's a form of worship. It's, um, it's not serving in the church, though that's a form of worship. These are all expressions of worship, right? We express worship through these various uh, modes and mediums. We know that worship can take on many forms, and it's not bound to just a Sunday morning experience, right? You guys all know that? Like worship is just, it goes beyond just the Sunday morning experience. Worship is a lifestyle that's lived out in response to the greatness of God. That's what worship is. So that's my first point this morning, if you want to throw it up there. It's that worship is a response, right? We know worship is, re- is responsive. It's a response to the greatness of God. And we worship God not just because of what he's done for us. And how many of you know he's done a lot for us, right? Just the fact that he saved our soul, right, from the pit of hell and brought us into life and brought us into eternity, right, with him. Like we have that hope that one day whenever our bodies die, that whenever we open our eyes again, we'll be with Jesus, right? That's what God has done for us. He has done that and so, so much more. But so we worship God because of what he's done for us, yes. But we also worship God. And more than that, we worship God because of who he is. Like, that is our primary, our primary reason for worshiping God is because of who he is. So I want to read to you this morning out of Isaiah chapter 40, verse 22. And let's read about just who God is and his position. Uh, Isaiah 40, 22 says, He sits enthroned above the circle of the earth and its people are like grasshoppers he stretches out the heavens like a canopy and spreads them out like a tent to live in and that reminds me we went to st louis this weekend yeah i just my my daughter turned six guys on saturday i don't know how to handle that like just yesterday she was born right and here she is six years old i don't know what happened there was like a time loop or something. I don't know. But here we are. She's six years old. And we went to St. Louis to the Arch. Anybody ever been to the Arch? Isn't it cool? So they, they uh, you know, they, they, you go underground and then they put you in this little um, tram shuttle car thingy and you go all the way up to the top. It's 630 feet to the very top. And when you look into those windows, I don't know, how many of you are scared of heights and would never go to the Arch, right? No, it was super, super cool. Um, yeah, so you go up there to the very top, and there's these windows that you look out, and you're pretty much almost looking down. It's crazy. And you can see, you see the, all the cars driving by. You see trains, and, you know, there's, there's a river and stuff. But 
you see these little little people, right? They look like grasshoppers. And that's kind of the viewpoint that God has, right? According to this passage of Scripture, he says he sits throned above the circle of the earth, and his people are like grasshoppers. He stretches out the heavens like a canopy and spreads them out like a tent to live in. First Chronicles 29.11 Yours, Lord, is the greatness and the power and the glory and the majesty and the splendor. For everything in heaven and earth is yours. Yours, Lord, is the kingdom. And you are exalted as head over all. So that's why we worship God. Because of his position. And he sits at the very top, right? He is the king of kings this morning. He is the Lord of lords. He is the master of the universe. That's why we worship God. It's a response of who he is. So we worship this very God, this very same God who by his very word, like he created, by the words of his mouth, he created all that you can see, all that you can't see. And I'm going to get a little nerdy on you this morning. Hope that's okay. So, like the farthest galaxy that we can fur- for, uh, currently see with our eyes uh, from you know human mo- uh, modes right now of uh, technology is 13 billion light years away, right? So what that means is light from this galaxy traveling at over 186,000 miles per second, that's how fast light travels, it takes 13 billion years for that light to reach our eyes. Isn't that crazy? And that's the furthest that we can currently see. There's more out there that we can't currently observe by human means, right? Isn't that crazy? And it says here in Psalm 33.6, if you want to throw that up there. By the word of the Lord, the heavens were made. Their starry host by the breath of his mouth. So we think about all that we can see, all that we, can, all that we can't see, and we realize that we serve a God who created everything that we can see, everything we can't see, by the word of his mouth. That is how powerful our God is. That is how big our God is, and that is why we worship. See, worship is a response to that. You know, I think sometimes we forget how big God is, right? Especially when it comes to worship. You know, we come in, we sit down, you know, we do our three, our, our one fast song and our, our two slow songs, and we move on to the rest of the service. We forget how big God is. God is immeasurably greater than, than we can ever wrap our brains around. And God is infinitely worthy of our worship, and the greatness of God demands it. So here's the tendency, and here's the problem. When we're going through trying times, when we're going through troubling times, we tend to get a little short-sighted, don't we? We worry. We stress out about that issue. We put that issue on repeat in our thoughts, right? And it consumes us. And we forget to look up. And it reminds me of, when I was thinking about this, it reminds me of the Apostle Peter in Matthew chapter 14. And I want to read this to you guys. Um, And here we see um, this story in Matthew chapter 14. Immediately, Jesus made the disciples get into the boat and go on ahead of him to the other side while he dismissed the crowd. After he had dismissed them, he went up on a mountainside by himself to pray. Later that night, he was there alone, and the boat was already a considerable distance from the land, buffeted by the waves because the wind was against it. Shortly before dawn, Jesus went out to them, walking on the lake. When the disciples saw him walking on the lake, they were terrified. 
It's a ghost, they said, and they cried out in fear. But Jesus immediately said to them, Take courage, it is I, don't be afraid. And this is Peter's response. Lord, if it's you, tell me to come to you on the water. And this is Jesus' response. Come, he said. Then Peter got down out of the boat, walked on the water, and came towards Jesus. But when he saw the wind, he was afraid, and he began to sink, and he cried out, Lord, save me. And immediately Jesus reached out his hand and caught him. And this is Jesus. You have little faith, he said. Why did you doubt? So in this story, Peter was doing, or he was doing good up to this point, right? Like, Peter was the only one that had the faith to step out of the boat. All the other disciples were in the boat, right? And that just makes sense. Like, who would step out of a perfectly good boat? It's like, who would jump out of a perfectly good airplane, right? Just doesn't make any sense, but people do it. So Peter had this faith to step out of the boat. He had the faith and the courage to trust Jesus initially. And when Jesus had come, he stepped out of the boat. But notice here in, in verse 30, what does it say? It says he saw with his eyes, with his physical, natural eyes, the wind. And what does, that, what does that tell us today from the scripture? That tells us that Peter took his eyes off of Jesus, right? Because here he is looking at Jesus. Jesus is telling him to come, step out of the boat onto the water and walk towards me. And what's, Jesus, what's Peter do? He takes his eyes off Jesus, right? And he puts his eyes on the situation, if he wouldn't have diverted his attention from Jesus, I think he would have successfully stayed above water, don't you? I think he would have. But instead, he begins to sink, and Jesus has to come to his rescue. And what does Jesus say to him? He says, you have little faith. Why did you doubt? And he had enough faith to step out of the boat, but he didn't have enough faith to keep his eyes on Jesus through the wind and the waves. So how often is that us, right? We take our eyes off Jesus, and we place our attention onto the situation, whatever the situation may be. But Jesus is asking us to trust him this morning. He's asking us to trust that he is able to sustain us and keep us above water. He's saying the same thing to us as he first said to his disciples in his story. He says, take courage. I'm here with you. Don't be afraid. And yet we tend to get wrapped up in our problem, don't we? And it reveals in that moment of weakness, just like with Peter, that we, we doubt that God is able to sustain us, that we, it, it, shows and it, it shows and it proves that, that in those moments that we lack faith. And that's a hard thing to say, but I think it's the truth this morning. So all that to say, how does, because I want to get into worship, because that's, that's what the topic is today, right? So how does worship play into all this? And here's my second point today. See, worship brings us hope by repositioning our focus. Worship brings hope by repositioning our focus. See, worship is a repositioning of our focus, right? It takes our focus off of the situation. It puts our focus back on God where it belongs. And like when we truly begin to worship God in those moments of pain, right? Even though the wind is around us, even though the wind is raging, suddenly the winds don't matter because we become captivated and awestruck at the greatness of God. And, you know, when I think about worship, you can't think about worship without King David, right? Guys, don't tell, don't tell him what I said earlier. Great, thanks. 
<laughs> yeah, so King David, right? If we want to talk about worship, we got to talk about King David. And how many of you know that, that King David, just like that, that farmer's commercial, you know, he knows a thing or two because he's seen a thing or two, right? That was King David. He knew a thing or two about worship. He, he had this awesome grasp on it. And we see that, that David, he wrote like 73 of the Psalms. So like that's, over, that's about half of, of the book of Psalms. So he wrote half of that. So di- more than like a king, more than who David was, David was a worshiper first, right? Before he was in, on the throne of Israel, he was in the fields, right? And he was worshiping. He had his harp. That's who David was. But he faced a lot of opposition in his lifetime. How many of you know King Saul, right? King Saul was before David. And King Saul tried to kill David on multiple occasions. He was, David was running for his life a lot of times with King Saul because King Saul was jealous of King David. Um, and then also, when, when, when David did have the throne, there was a time that his son, Absalom, took his throne, and David had to flee for his life. And it seems like David was on the run a lot. Yet, let me read you Psalms 27, 5 and 6. This is David. For in the day of trouble, he will keep me safe in his dwelling, He will hide me in the shelter of his sacred tent, and he will set me high on a rock. See, that's that perspective, right? Then my head will be exalted above the enemies who surround me. And listen to this. At his sacred tent, now this is a sacred tent, right? When when God's people gather, it's not the building, right? It's the people. When, when, When God's people gather as the church, it becomes the sacred tent of God. So at his sacred tent, I will sacrifice with shouts of joy. I will sing and make music to the Lord. See, King David knew the best time to have hope, or the best way to have hope in hard times was to worship. And that's what he did. And you'll see it time and time again in Scripture. Whenever there was something happening in David's life, or even any of the psalmist's life, right? We see the psalms as just like packed with, this is what's happening, but God, right? So in the middle of these hard times, David chose to worship. Worship repositions our focus. We take our eyes off the situation and we fix our eyes on God, and it helps us to weather the storm. And here's my third point today. Worship brings hope. By giving us the right perspective. Worship brings hope by giving us the right perspective. It's different from focus. It's perspective. So what's perspective? What is that? Perspective is being able to see from the correct altitude. To see things from the right viewpoint. Perspective means that we discover that God is much bigger than our problems, right? Was that first point about worship where we talked about how big God is and how great he is? We realize that God is in control. And how many of you know that God exists outside of time, right? So here we are stuck, you know, in this plane of existence, and we're going this way or this way, it doesn't matter. But we're going one way into time, right? But God exists outside of time and space. So God can... 
can see this bird's eye view perspective over our life and he can see the end from the beginning and he knows what's going to happen to us and he's he is able to to help get us through those those situations because something greater is on the other side of that do you guys see that this morning god can see the end from the beginning and worship when we worship it causes us to see the situation with these spiritual eyes with what i like to call an eternal perspective and to realize that God is working through the tough things of our life out for the ultimate good. And when Gabby started talking earlier, I almost thought she was going to steal all my thunder because she was saying the exact same thing as what I'm saying right here, is that God is working the tough things of our life out for our ultimate good. Do you guys believe that this morning? It's in Romans, right? God causes all things to work together for good for them that love the Lord and are called according to his purpose. That is true, and I've seen that in my life time and time again. You know, was it, how long ago has it been? I always forget. I always have to ask my wife. 13 years ago? She's shaking her head. Yes, okay, so I got the correct. So 13 years ago, I wasn't planning on sharing this, but we have a few minutes. I broke my neck. was paralyzed. Just horrible. Um, didn't think that I was ever, ever able going to, ever able, I can't even talk. Didn't think I was going to be able to walk again, right? But God brought me through. And he healed my body. Like, I should not be standing here today before you, except for the grace of God and except for the power of prayer. And through that, that horrible situation, right? That's not, a good, that's not a good situation to be in. God brought so much good out of that. He brought a family out of that. Jesse and I started dating as a result of, of that accident. After that accident, we started talking and, 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 and whatnot, started dating, and then got married. And um, now we have two beautiful children one of which is in kindergarten. And I'm, I'm not okay with that, as you can tell. But God brought that bad situation. He took that bad situation and he turned it for good, right? And he's, I've seen it time and time again. You can take it to the bank. It's, it's, it's truth. I don't even know where I was. Okay, here I was. King David, like he knew this as a fact, right? He had this hope, he had this unwavering expectation that regardless of his current situation, that God would bring him into a good place. And let's look back at Psalm 27 at verse 13. I saw this on Facebook the other day, and I was like, that's good, I've got to add that. Um, Psalm 27, 13, see, something good can come out of Facebook, if it's scripture. <laughs> I would have lost heart unless I had believed that I would see the goodness of the Lord in the land of the living. He says, I would have lost heart. I would have lost hope. Unless I believed that I would see the goodness of the Lord in the land of the living. So on the surface, like, it might look, that our, look like our problem has us surrounded, right? And that there's like no way out. And this is what happens when we look at the problem without the right perspective. And, let me, actually, no, I don't want to jump ahead. So the right perspective makes all the difference, right? The right perspective makes all the difference. Has anybody ever flown before? Flown before? I love flying. My wife hates it, so therefore we don't fly. And it's kind of expensive too, so there's that. Um, so, like, what's that viewpoint? Like, when you're at 40,000 feet and you're soaring above the clouds, what's that view like, right? The right perspective makes all the difference. Like, that perspective, it's breathtaking and you can see for miles. And when we worship, it helps us see the bigger picture because our eyes are focused on God. 
and we see how great he is, it helps us to see that bigger picture, and it gives us that 40,000-foot perspective on the situation. And suddenly, our problems that we have, they become a lot smaller, right, compared to the greatness of our God. I want to read a story to you from 2 Kings uh, chapter 6, and it won't be up there because it's so long. So if you want to pop out your Bibles, your, your iPhones, your tablets, your Android devices, if you have those. I hope you don't. Just, just kidding. Just, just kidding. Just kidding. Just kidding. It's just kidding. Second Kings chapter 6, 8 through 17. And now the king of Aram was at war with Israel. And after conferring with his officers, he said, I will, I will set up my camp in such and such place. The, the man of God sent word to the king of Israel, beware of passing, and the man of God is Elisha in this, in this, in this story. Not Elijah, Elisha, which came out, he came after Elijah. The man of God sent word to the king of Israel, beware of passing that place because the Arameans are going down there. So the king of Israel checked on that place, indicated by the man of God. Time and time again, Elisha warned the king so that he was on guard at, in such pla- places. So naturally, you know, it says, this enraged the king of Aram. He summoned his officers and demanded of them, tell me, which of us is on the side of the king of Israel? None of them, none of us, my lord, the king, said one of his officers. But Elisha, the prophet who is in Israel, tells the king of Israel the very words you speak in your bedroom. Go find out where he is, the king ordered, so I can send men and capture him. So Elijah kind of had this knowledge from God of, of where this king and his, his forces were going to be. And obviously that the king of, um, what's that place again? Aram. Yeah, the king of Aram was not very happy about that, obviously. Um, the report came back. He is in Dothan. Then he sent horses and chariots and a strong force there. They went by night and surrounded the city. When the servant of the man of God went up, he, they, I think it's crazy. They don't even name who this guy is. He just says, that they just say he's a servant. But when the servant of the man of God got up and went out early the next morning, an army with horses and and chariots had surrounded the city. Oh no, my Lord, what shall we do? The servant asked. And this is Elisha. Don't be afraid, the prophet answered. Those who are with, I want you to, 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 to take note of this. Those who are with us are more than those who are with them. And Elisha prayed, open his eyes, Lord, that he may see. And the Lord opened the servant's eyes. And he looked and saw the hills full of horses and chariots of fire all around Elisha. It was full of horses and chariots of fire all around Elisha. And Elijah prayed. God opened the servant's eyes, right, to see the truth. And Fernando, if you want to come. So how many of you of us today can relate to that servant? we see that we're surrounded, right, on all sides, which means there's no way out of the city. We think that this is it. Like, the, the forces are, are surrounding us, and they're going to come and capture us, and that's going to be the end of us. But worship, when we worship God, when we fix our eyes on God, it opens our eyes to see the truth. And the truth is that it's God who is surrounding us. When we worship, 
we realize all of a sudden, and I'm feeling this this morning, I've, I've, I have been full of hope since I've started to prepare for this message. But when we worship, we realize that God is with us. We realize that God is for us, right? It says he's for us. He's not against us. He has good things for us, not bad things, right? He's for us. He's, a, he's not against us. And we realize that God's going to fight for us. That's the right perspective. So today as we wrap up, like I don't know where you stand, what your current situation is. If, if things are good for you, then that's great. God is still worthy of your worship, right? Because worship is responsive to who God is. If you're in, a, in tough times, and everybody goes through tough times, it's going to happen. Things are not okay. Maybe you... So regardless of, e- of either situation, right? God is worthy of our worship. And if you're going through tough times, you need to learn to worship through pain. I knew, I, uh, I have a friend... I just listened to this via podcast last night, but I knew a friend who was at this worship conference or this worship event, and God asked him to lift his hands in worship, so he did. And then he went to take his hands down, and God was like, I didn't tell you to take your hands down in worship. And so he's worshiping, his, his hands are raised, and then the pain comes, because how many of you know if you lift your hands for too long, right, it starts to hurt, like you, you realize you have muscles in places that you didn't realize you had muscles, because of the pain. And about 40 minutes goes on, and then the worship ends, and, he's like, and he feels that release, and his, his arms are throbbing, and he's trying to ask why. And he felt God say very plainly to him, I wanted you to see what it was like to worship through pain. And that's what we need to do today. If you're in a, in a trying time, if you're in a troubling situation, if the storms of life have you in, uh, surrounded the armies, of the enemy have you surrounded, you need to worship through pain because it's going to give you that right perspective. When we worship, it brings us hope because we have our eyes fixed on him. And he is hope this morning. Jesus is hope. So look to him.